Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe presented by Coop Illworks. We're coming to you on Monday, May 15th, which means we hope you all enjoyed a very lovely, relaxing Mother's Day weekend. Mothers out there, we appreciate you and you deserve a great weekend. It also means that, well, the draft lottery is tomorrow. That is going to take place in Chicago at 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. And so we had to bring the whole gang together. We got it. We brought in our good friend, Mr. Matt Pinto, the radio play-by-play -play for the Thunder. Matt, thanks so much for being here. It's we great appreciate to be here. It. Yes, yeah. Good to see you after yeah, this. Long, you. Yeah. I mean, it's been yeah. four weeks, yeah. but it feels yeah. like a year. Uh, it does <laughs> feel like I can't believe it's only been a month. <laughs> I know, seriously. So for those of you who have been following the Thunder for a while now, this is not the first time that you've heard of the term draft lottery. In fact, last season, you might remember this time last year, the Thunder, those ping pong balls gave OKC the number two pick in the draft, which landed the team Chet Holmgren. This year, going to be a little bit different. The, the odds for OKC are a little bit different, but we still wanted to come together to kind of break this all down and show you what all, all these ping pong balls mean. Yeah, prior to these past two years, the Thunder had only had its own lottery pick one time in like a decade. Right. So it, it was a bit unfamiliar for a while. And then in 2021, OKC was slotted at the fourth spot moved back to the sixth spot because of the lottery, ended up getting Josh Giddy there at number six. In 2022, OKC again was in that four spot, ended up moving up two places to get Chet Holmgren at number two. This year, because of the way that the team played, how good the record was this season, won 40 games, OKC slotted currently at spot number 12. Now, there's an 85% chance that the Thunder stays at 12, mm -hmm. another about 6.5% chance that it ends up actually being 13, and then the rest of that, about 8% chance that they could be in the top four with about one and a half percent chance of that number one overall pick. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. There's a chance. Telling me there's here. a chance. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but Matt, you've been around the NBA for a long time. Yeah. And, and you remember last year for the Thunder and just how big of a deal that was for OKC as a whole. You know that this night for the Thunder, really for all the teams in the lottery, is just such a big deal. What what can you tell us about just kind of overall how the draft lottery, the, the vibe around this? this yeah, I, I think, you know, depending on where you are, last season the Thunder felt like, well, maybe there's a shot to get yeah. up in that 1-2 mm -hmm. range, and they did. So it worked out. I think this year is very different. I, I think the anticipation is not quite as thick as it was a season ago. But I think the other thing is this is a clarifying night. It's a right. night, like Sam Presti says, that now we'll know. Now we've done all this uh, pre-work to prepare ourselves for various scenarios, and now we'll have a real sense of where that pick falls. And, and there are a lot of different possibilities as to how it may manifest itself between now and when the draft happens in June, uh, but there'll be clarification tomorrow night. Yeah, and ultimately, the long-term goal, as we know, is for the Thunder's picks to not be in the lottery and for them to be taking lottery picks from other teams yeah. that they've acquired over the course of time. You know how many draft picks the Thunder has stashed away in the future, and some of those are very lightly protected or unprotected, so those could be lottery picks down the line. That's when things could get really interesting is when the Thunder's making these other teams' picks in the lottery while still maintaining that continued uh, sustained success that they're looking for. But for right now, this is is a really kind of unique stepping stone for the Thunder in that they performed well last season, perhaps performed, you know, sort of above that line mm -hmm. that Sam yep. Presti has talked about. There's a chance that OKC performs a little bit below that, that beat, as Sam would say, right. next season but another opportunity to bring in a young, talented player. And the beauty of all of this is that OKC is so excited about the group that they have already in their locker room, right? That core and guys that we haven't even seen play yet. 
Chet Holmgren, Chet. <laughs> who's going to be back in the lineup next season. So there's a lot to look forward to. But one thing that I find so interesting about draft lottery night is no one is in the room where yeah. these ping pong balls come to fruition. It's only one representative from each team, no media, nobody else. And so I, I find that very interesting because it, there's there's just a level of, of mystery around what happens in that room. And, and let's be real. I mean, this is the first draft in memory maybe back to LeBron, mm-hmm. that there is a true like franchise guy by perception that everybody covets, and yeah. that is Victor Wembanyama. So whoever gets the number one pick, it's going to be franchise changing. There's no question. And because of that, I think the anticipation was teams may play it differently during the regular season. I didn't really experience a whole lot of that. Uh, but now we know that there's going to be a team that inherits this treasure, so to speak, which is going to change a lot of what the offseason looks like. It really will. And just like with every draft, there are going to be – players who are mocked a certain place that yeah. don't end up le- leveling up to expectations. Right. There's going to be guys that are late risers like a J-Dub, mm-hmm. uh, who we'll talk about later on in the show. And there's going to be guys who are kind of diamonds in the rough that get picked later on in the draft. And you're like, how did we miss on him? So uh, those things all happen. Yeah. The cool thing about what the Thunder has going is you've got this pick, very likely to be 12. Mm-hmm. You have all these assets that if you see a guy that you really feel like is a Thunder-oriented player, I mean, you think about... J-Dub and Chet and Usman Jang, these are all players that the Thunder really identified as like last year. These are guys that that can be a part of our team, part of our organization, not just because of the talent. Well, you might have the opportunity to go up and get one of those mm-hmm. guys right. a little bit higher if you need to. The other thing is if they pick 12th, 12th worked out pretty well last season. It's yeah. not J-Dub. a bad yeah. pick. <laughs> worked out pretty well. <laughs> it's not too yeah. shabby. It's still in the lottery, still a lot of great prospects there as well. So just to sum it all up, what this looks like for OKC – Last year, we heard from Sam Presti before the draft lottery because he was pretty adamant to saying, hey, we have no control over what happens in this room. We are going to take this as a point of clarification. We're going to take this information. And after this lottery, that will allow us to get to work. And OKC, I think they have a pretty good track record of uh, scouting and uh, evaluation. (laughs) And so we will keep an eye out for everything that you need to know following the draft lottery as well. Be sure to tune in. It is going to be at 7 p.m. Central Time. It's going to take place in Chicago. And be sure to come back to the Thunder Basketball Universe podcast because we'll have it all wrapped up here as well. All right, we're going to take a short break, but don't go anywhere. We've got more Thunder Insight coming after this. Coop Works is the proud sponsor of Thunder Basketball Universe. Brewers of the fan favorites F5 IPA and 99 calorie ice chest IPA. You'll find those and many more Coop beers at retailers across Oklahoma. Learn more at CoopLWorks.com. Well, we've got some really fun news coming out of Thunder Basketball Universe. We had a couple of Thunder players named to all NBA teams. First and foremost, we got to give a big round of applause to our guy, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was named to the first team All-NBA for his incredible season here with the Thunder. And we just got to talk about his year. I mean, it... We all know about it. We've all seen it. It deserves a lot of attention, but we got to run this back because Shea certainly deserved this honor. And uh, honestly, looking at these numbers, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. You might say he really shade the course over these last few years. <laughs> yeah. right. And as the, yeah. as, yeah. 
<laughs> and, dad jokes. And, and as he continued to mature into his leadership, into his skills, uh, and really understanding time, score, situation, all of those things that have just percolated over the course of time for him, he was really able to put together one of the best seasons in Thunder history. Yeah. And uh, really remarkable to see from a guy at his age. And also just another opportunity to kind of add to that lineage here in OKC of guys who have, have been named to an All-NBA team. Well, the last player that was 30-plus in scoring, 50-plus in shooting from the field, and 90-plus from the foul line, Steph Curry. And he mm -hmm. won the MVP in the 2016 season. So mm -hmm. these are transcendent mm -hmm. numbers that Shea put up this season. And the thing to me, guys, that really stands out is we can, you know, really get lost in, in the wonderland of the offensive uh, things he did yeah. this season for certain 30 plus points, 45 times, right. the percentage, the efficiency, the free throw attempts, they were all among the elite players in recent history in the NBA. But the defensive numbers to exactly. me are what sets him apart this season because it wasn't just the steals, it led all guards and blocks, but the difference he made in connecting the team on the defensive end of the floor. Mm -hmm. This team was number one in charges drawn. He was uh, certainly in instrumental in that. Number one in loose balls recovered. They did a great job of turning defense into offense, and he spearheaded that. He really did. And that, to me, is the reason that he now must be viewed as one of the top five, six, seven players in the NBA. This is something he's been talking about for a long time. Yeah. It's just being a two-way player. Exactly. This is a focus for him in the offseason. And every time Shea goes away for a certain amount of time, he comes back with new yeah. elements to his game, mm -hmm. a next level to his game. And this season he came back with this defensive tenacity, knowing that he was going to have to pick up on some more intense assignments, some tougher assignments. And he really rose to that level. And he told us every time we asked him about it, because I mean, the, the defensive numbers, they pop, they really do. Deflections, steals, charges, you name it, blocks even for a guard. The, every, every single time he was asked about it, it always came down to two words. And he was like, it just, it's want to. Mm -hmm. And he just wanted to be a better player on that end of the floor. Yeah. And this is the type of player he wants to be. He recognizes, he sees the landscape of the great players who have come through this league. None of them are one-way players. Right. And now certainly in the NBA, you can get paid off of being a one-way talent, but you don't have lasting power. You don't have championship aspirations. If that's, if your best player is a one-way player and Shea recognizes that. The thing I loved about watching him game to game was how many chase down plays he made mm -hmm. where he was never out of the play because he wouldn't allow himself to be mm -hmm. out of the play. A chase down blocks, chase down deflections, chase down, um, you know, stabs at, at dribbles out in front of him that denied a team what appeared to be an advantage, three on two, for example, uh, once a defense got broken down and he recovered. And when a guy gives that kind of effort, it just rallies the rest of the players around him. Our best player is giving that kind of effort. Shame on me if I don't at least match that in terms yeah. of me being out there as a guy looking for minutes. Yeah, that, that leading by example, it wasn't just on the defensive end. It, it was also offensively. For a guy who can get downhill and get to the rim at will on every single possession, he was still such a strong connector for the offense. When he was getting downhill, he was getting all the attention to the defense, kicking it out to his teammates, getting his teammates involved and using his gravity to the team's advantage. That also spoke volumes to just the type of player that he is on the floor. You know, we often talk about guys trusting the offense and recognizing that you know the ball's going to come back around him. But Shea didn't even operate like that where he felt like he, he was owed the ball back at the end yeah. of every possession. You know, there's some guys that, that sort of go through the motions of running an offense knowing, hey, this ball better get back to me <laughs> by, by the time there's 12 seconds left on the clock. Shea didn't even operate like that. He just, he understood that in order to have a, an effective offense, one that made a massive leap 
from the first half of the season to really starting in January to become one of the top five offenses in the NBA for the rest of the season, Shea understood that he has to be, yes, a central cog in the offense, Mm -hmm. but this has to be an offensive threat where all five guys are somebody to worry about for the opposing team and one that is unpredictable so that they're not just lined up against the same formations every single time. Always team first. I mean, yep. he he lives that. He breathes it. It's very evident in how he connects with his teammates and the fact that it's never him solo. It's never about him in that regard. It didn't matter if he made a game-winning shot. Uh, Nick, you'd interview him on the floor mm-hmm. post-game, and he'd be doused with water. Yeah. And he'd have teammates all around him, and he'd embrace that. Like, that yeah. was part of his persona and what he's about. I think the other thing about him that – is is absolutely unheralded is his footwork. Um, you, you look at guys in this league like DeMar DeRozan that's been around for well over a decade mastering some of the footwork to get off mid-range shots or to get up and under defenders that close on him, sometimes splitting two defenders. Shea's doing that in half the amount of time in the NBA. For a guard to have the footwork he has that's absolutely impeccable, it creates advantages for his team. And I think that's one of the unheralded things about his individual game that I really, like, I really enjoy watching him play because of that. The nuances he brings sometimes I think are overlooked and we shouldn't. We should really appreciate all of it. Yeah, he never seems rushed. And Paris, as a former point guard yourself, I mean, how hard is that to oh, man. not feel rushed in a game when the ball is in your hands that much? Shea just plays at his own pace and it's a it's a herky-jerky, unorthodox pace that keeps the defense on its toes. It's yeah. so unpredictable and that's why it's so difficult to guard. And when you master that, I mean, you have the defense on a string mm-hmm. because you control everything. You're the one hitting first and the defense is on their heels. And ultimately, that's where you want to be. It's just how hot Shay has been all season <laughs> long. He's setting off fire alarms setting here inside alarms. Paycom Center. I was so nervous. I was like, am I missing something? What just happened here? Okay, so if you hear that, that's just a fire alarm being tested here in the arena. No worries. We're going to keep going here. Shay is rocking and rolling. He is on a hot streak in his career, but he's not the only one. The other Thunder player who earned an incredible award this season, Jalen Williams, J-Dub, the rookie out of Santa Clara, named to the first team all-rookie team for the NBA. He had an incredible season, 14 points per game, 52% shooting from the field. Just let that sink in for a second. 4.5 rebounds, 3.3 assists, and 1.37 steals all over the floor on both ends. Yeah, J-Dub really showed such great perseverance after literally getting punched in the face to start the season. He took that massive elbow to the eye, missed the first few games of the year. And, you know, we kind of joked that that was the rookie wall that he hit and he never really hit one the rest of the year. And with that, he was able to just kind of stack days on top of each other. And you saw him take on more of a responsibility, more of a load as the season went along. And the really cool part about it is his efficiency never dipped his, uh, desire to you know make it about himself never increased so he stayed really despite maybe having more of the ball or having more scoring opportunities more playmaking opportunities it it never felt like he was playing outside of the team structure he still got off the ball when it was time to get off the ball and he attacked quickly when it was time for him to attack quickly really unusual to to watch a rookie do what he did this season i think in that he literally got better by the numbers every single month. <laughs> every yeah. single month. Through the end of March. Um, April was a little bit of a dip, but I, I thought Mark Dagnall summed up what was going on with him perfectly. And Nick, you referenced rookie wall, and Mark said in March that it's like he's hitting his rookie stride. Yeah. It's not the wall. It's like he's continuing to build. 
really impressive. And, and I go back to some things that were said about him in training camp. Kenrich Williams made the statement, this guy's going to be multi-time all-star. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that in what he brings, his demeanor, his disposition, his approach, the physicality he has in his game, his length, um, the, the versatility he has in his game. So the Thunder in the homework they did on him, and he was kind of a late bloomer the way they saw him, latched on. They really followed and tracked him through uh, the, the combine process in Chicago and where players of his ilk at his level were kind of taking steps away from being assessed. He was like, I want all of it. I want to play every possible second I can. And it really benefited him. But uh, just, you know, it's it's fun to watch a guy really evolve and grow the way he did. And his teammates value him. And, and you see that. They value all the things he brings. Just to tie it back to our previous discussion about the lottery. I mean, these are the types of players that the Thunder teams teams in markets like Oklahoma City can only get in the lottery. 6'6", 7'2", wingspan, mm -hmm. multidimensional, can play on both sides of the ball, can shoot, pass, dribble. As you said, Matt, you know, his his counting stats increased every single month out of the year. Th those are types of players that the Thunder can only acquire through the lottery typically. And so that's just something to keep your mind on in yeah. terms of the type of player the Thunder might be targeting here come June. And it's a reason why... You look around the league, these are the guys that are making all NBA. These are the guys that are making, um, you know, all uh, all rookie team, all these types of players who can do multiple things on the floor at the same time and have that size length profile on the wing. I imagine now, guys, when he adds the three-point shot with frequency and mm -hmm. consistency, unguardable. I mean, you you look at opposing defense having to deal with him. <laughs> that's not a, a pleasant chore. And he'll be elevated on opposing team scouting reports next season. Right. So him adding is going to be important this offseason. It I, certainly will be. I remember a practice earlier this season when J-Dub, at the beginning of the year, did not shoot the ball well from the three-point line. And he was telling his teammates, guys, guys, I promise, I've, I've got a jump shot. I can hit threes. I promise. Just I shot like 40% at Santa Clara. Yeah. I promise I can do this. And then by the end of the season, I mean, he was one of the hotter shooters yeah. on yeah. the team from three on relatively few attempts, two or three attempts per game, a ton of catch and shoot threes. Those numbers shot up over the course of the season to above about 37%. You think about being able to get that those types of numbers from the start of the year. Yeah. You, you could be looking at a very scary prospect moving forward when you got playmakers like Josh Giddy mm -hmm. and Shea mm -hmm. and Chet Holmgren into the mix too. We know he can make plays at that point center spot. I, I just love how unrattled he is. I mean, even in that small example of, yeah. okay, guys, guys, I promise yeah. I can knock down a three and <laughs> yeah. then sticks with it. And then next thing you know, at the end of the season, he's shooting the ball pretty well. That defines his entire <laughs> basketball <laughs> journey. Just being un, like un, under, under not under coached, under recruited yep. and and not really seen as a, as a guy who can go out there and get buckets and then not really seen in the draft very early and then just sticks with it just sticks with it just sticks with it and now he's a no-brainer for first team I, I remember there was a post-game radio interview I did with him after a great performance I think it was in LA in in a big win against either the Clippers or uh, the Lakers out there the Thunder had yeah. success in Los Angeles this season and I asked him what are you learning about yourself on this level and his response told everything <laughs> nothing I didn't already know yeah. So it's like supreme he has supreme confidence. It's it's yep. a supreme confidence, but it's a quiet confidence. Very There's quiet, a humility yeah. in it. Yeah. It's not like he's got this big bravado, a big presence that that takes away from other guys. And he's a Thunder player. I yeah. mean, they come into the league cut from that same cloth. It seems like. Yeah, and you got to have a level of confidence in yourself to survive in this of league. Of course. And if you don't think that you're capable of all of this stuff, we've well, already lost. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Confidence in yourself, but also confidence in the team around mm -hmm. you. So working within the group, Shea and J-Dub both did that at a very high level this season. 
All right, we also got to talk about some honorable mentions because although these folks were not named the given the actual award, they they got votes. And so they are worth a mention. And the first one up is Mark Dagnall, head coach for the Thunder, who finished second in coach of the year votes. That's incredible for him. Yeah, just uh, amazing. And another example of how the Thunder's approach to development is organization-wide. It's not just with regard to the players. I mean, Mark Dagnall was brought in extremely young mm-hmm. from University of Florida to coach the OKC Blue. And he had a long tenure as the head coach there, became an assistant for one year in that season where the, the team went to the bubble, and then becomes the head coach after that in the fall of 2020. And the the remarkable thing is just how OKC recognizes an opportunity with a, a, a young mm-hmm. prospect, this being a coach, and works with them to develop their skills over the course of time. Matt, you probably get to spend more one-on-one time with Mark Dagnall than anybody in sort of the, the media ecosphere. What, what have you been your takeaways from those opportunities you've gotten with him over the course of time? I love it. He helps me add to my vocabulary. He's yeah. so <laughs> bright and intelligent and so comes up smart. with these different, yes. you know, phrases and I think that's words the educator in here because, you know, both yeah. of his Seriously. parents are teachers. And so I think yeah. he's got yeah. this educator brain that's yeah. just, you know, rattling off these sayings that really help you understand. But, he, but he's, you know, I mean, he's got a groundedness about him, but there is like a, a cutting edge intellect Almost like you you have confidence being around him because you feel like this guy's our leader, we're good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think the players feel that as well. The players talked about the 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 playing game in New Orleans. His demeanor never changed. Even they though they get off to the tough start, it helped them push yeah. through that. And it did throughout the course of the season. The thing that I noticed as the year went on, though, is opposing coaches would refer to him as Coach Mark. It's like nobody really knew, how do we pronounce his last name here? (laughs) And by the end of the season, they knew his last name. I mean, they recognized that he's strategizing in a way that puts us on our heels. We heard frequently... both Nick and Paris from opposing coaches, this is a 48-minute team. That's a tribute to the head coach and the coaching staff. They never give up. Mm -hmm. And we know if we take a quick nap, if we lapse, they're going to be down our throats and we're going to be in trouble. So I can't say enough about how his persona is is embodied by this team. And it's almost, you know, it's unnoticeable in the sense of him pushing himself out front. He won't do that. He, He would not do that. When Coach of the Year dialogue came up and I asked him about it. It's like he totally um, retreated from that. It's like, it's not about me. It's about yeah. these guys taking the mantle of what they've they've done. But I mean, look at the numbers. 30th in the league in scoring two seasons ago, fifth this season. Yep. I mean, this offense became potent. Uh, and it wasn't just the infusion of individual talent. It was the fact that even when Shea was out, mm-hmm. when he was out, they excelled. They excelled because of the system and because they got... Mark got buy-in from them because they believe in him and believed in the structure. So um, he did an extraordinary job this season. He really did. Well, this is a player's league. And so I want to give you a quote from a player, a very prominent Thunder player, to kind of illustrate all of these points about Mark with the understanding that he's he has to get – any NBA coach has to get buy-in from the players in order to be successful. And here's what Shea said. I didn't learn anything about Mark this year that I didn't already know. I, I already knew what type of coach he was. He has a core belief system, and I 100% agree with it. And you know, he he knows the right way to go about the game. And Shea said he Mark instilled those things in this team when they were a 15 win team and a 22 win mm-hmm. team. And it's easier for them to grow now because of those habits that they've built. And you know, the, the last thing Shea said was Mark doesn't waver with his temperament, his attention to detail, and his approach every approach every single day. And he's one heck of a coach and is really on his way. 
that says everything yep, right yep. there. And that's that's deserving of multiple coach of the year votes. And and Mark Dagnall, congratulations. Great work this season. Much deserved. And I mean, speaking of Shea, we already talked about him so much for his all NBA selection, but he also received votes for most improved player, which he finished second, and most valuable player, MVP, the big kahuna. Yeah. <laughs> he finished fifth in voting for that one. All incredibly well-deserved. And then I'm looking at the most improved one because the, the jump that Shea made from last season to this season was just nobody saw that coming. And he was already good, but he took good and made it great, exceptional. And that's a really hard jump for a player to make. Yeah, you, you're kind of in the great game now, so to speak, of these players that have the opportunity to be All-NBA, MVP, every single, every single year from here on out. You know, once you kind of get to that level you're seen very differently around the league. And I, I would only imagine that assuming good health, assuming um, Shea continues to be the exact type of worker that yeah. we've seen yep. him be for the last decade plus, that he's going to continue to put himself in that conversation. The really fascinating thing about it is Shea said, I don't think any of this is a coincidence that my name is starting to trickle into these conversations when our team has played mm -hmm. better. And still at the end of the day, he understands that individual stuff all comes downstream from team performance. Yes. And that is going to be his guiding light. Yeah, I've always struggled with there's no criteria for most improved player. And it's not taking anything away from Larry Markin at Utah because he made a massive jump. Sure. The jump he made was Shea like from two or three years ago. Yes. Mm -hmm. And not from the 24 a game to 31 plus. Right. And the other numbers that we plastered all over um, this podcast. But um, yeah, I mean, to make the jump and to be as sustained in his excellence as he was this season, that's the definition of most improved. And, yeah. I, you know, it's not like people are going to recall Shea once it's over for him, his career is done. And remember, he was most improved in 2023, right? Because yeah. yeah. Paul George was the most improved player. But you don't think Paul George and think most improved player. Right. Right. But it is, uh, I think, one that that is notched by guys that have made the ascent, get mm -hmm. there, as you said, Nick, and now they're so committed to sustain. And, and you love hearing from Shea that he desires being the greatest. Yes, yeah. He does. We heard that from Russell Westbrook when he was here. And frankly, when Russ would say it, like I, I'm like, that's incredibly ambitious. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. But I didn't see it happening. And lo and behold, yeah. four yeah. seasons of triple doubles, right? right. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, that inner belief and the way guys communicate it and Shea does it in his own unique way. But it, it's such a pleasure to be around and see. Yeah. And it's something just in the water here. These guys, it, you said something, the commitment to sustain. So now that they've reached this level, they're, they're, there's no going back from here. There's only moving forward. There's only keeping their head down and working hard this offseason to make sure they're even better next season. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty exciting for me to hear. So um, I'm looking forward to next season. Yeah. That wraps up today's podcast, though. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Mr. Matt Pinto, thank you so much for joining us. It's been today. a pleasure. Thank yeah. you for taking yeah. precious time in your offseason of to come talk to us <laughs> on our podcast. Thank you so much to our producer, Matt Bishop. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later. <laughs>